0: Have you ever noticed how you can show two people, they can look at the same thing, they can see the same opportunity, and they can walk away with something completely different? Have you ever noticed that? You've probably done it yourself. Probably you husband and wives more than anybody, right? It's like, no, it looks like this. No, it looks like that. You know, it's like, no. You know, it's just that way. One has faith and one has fear. One creates strife and one creates rest. You see, it's like this. How we see what we see is so important. We can look at the same picture and not even see what's there. Sherry and I have a friend, a guy that she went to kindergarten with, who from time to time helps us with our ministry, and he called me one day, and he said, Jimmy, I I need this picture of you. And I knew the picture. It was a performance picture of me and the band. It actually hangs in Applebee's in Excelsior Springs, Missouri, in the entry if you want to go see it. You can go if you're at Excelsior Springs. And uh, But but what that meant was that I had to go back to all of my pictures and look through thousands and thousands of pictures to find this one picture. And when I was doing it, I saw two pictures that caught my attention. And the first one is a picture of my daughter, Amanda. And I think we have those pictures. Amanda's eight years old. She's in our kitchen in Kingston, Missouri, when we lived in Kingston. and uh, it was her birthday, and she's holding a teddy bear. And then the next one is a picture of my son Jason. He's probably five or six in the, in the living room floor of our little uh, you know farmhouse, four-room four farmhouse that we lived in and paid 65 dollars a month for rent for. And uh, he's playing with a toy. And I saw those pictures and kept on scrolling and then all of a sudden I heard a voice in my heart. And the voice said, Jimmy, how did you feel when you saw those pictures? And I knew immediately how I felt. I felt, I felt shamed. I felt regret. I felt all of those things because we were living pretty much, it wasn't, wasn't paycheck to paycheck. It was day to day and meal to meal. You know, meals were like food. Food at dinner was an opportunity. Sherry's got some great recipes from that era. If you need some help with that, but and so I, I had all these negative emotions that came up in my heart when I saw those two pictures, and then I heard this voice again say, "Jimmy, you need good eyes." And when I heard that, I said, "You know, why don't you say this with me? I need good eyes." I was reminded of a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 11, verses 34 through 36. It says this, Luke 11, 34 through 36. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, your body is filled with darkness. Make sure that the light you think you have is not actually darkness. If you are filled with light, With no dark corners, then your whole life will be radiant, as though a floodlight were filling you with light. Jesus here speaks to us about our eyes, and he asks, are your eyes good, or are they bad? When we look into our future, what do we see? Do we see good things, or do we see bad things? Do we see failure, or do we see opportunity? Do we have faith, or do we have fear? You see, as I looked at these pictures, I completely overlooked the wonder of the moment. I didn't see my beautiful eight-year-old daughter at the time holding a teddy bear on her birthday without a care in the world. I didn't see my wonderful son playing on the toy of of our house in the living room, and he didn't care about any of the things that I thought I cared about when I saw that picture. You see, I created a completely different reality, but there was another view there. And we do this all the time. We do this all the time. The way we see things is really only that. It's the way we see things. It doesn't mean that that's really the way things are. The way we see things, and really many times the way we see what we think is truth, is really just our perception. It's really that way. Our perception, which is made from our past experiences. And we're each susceptible to those things. And that's why God's reality is the only reality that is truth. And his word, the Bible tells us, is truth. And so we have to always make sure that when we are looking at things, that our perception isn't skewed by our past, our experiences, our pains, our regrets, but that rather we see clearly with the eyes that the Lord would have us see. Now, some of you, you won't get past these next three things that I'm going to say, and that's okay with me, just so you'll know. If you leave here and one of these things impact you, Then I would be thrilled that that took place. Today, you could heal your relationship with your spouse if you would stop seeing, if you would begin to see the good things in them and not just necessarily all the time focus on the bad. It's a trap and we get caught there. You could start healing the relationship with your children if you would begin to see the good in them and start to speak to those things. You know, every, and we all know this because we've all experienced this as children. Does anybody see anything good in me? And when mom and dad stand up and begin to speak to those things, it draws those things out of them. I really actually believe that's a prophetic gift. It's the gift of prophecy seeing those things with the eye of a prophet and then begin to edify, encourage, build up, speak to those things. But so many times we can only see because we're so intense as parents, right? I know I was. I was way too intense. I was no fun as a parent, just so you'll know. And, and we, so many times we just look at that and we are so, we see what they're doing wrong. And we completely overlook what's being done that's good and correct. And we need to be those that have good eyes. And today, number three, today you would start healing yourself. If you would start seeing the good in yourself and stop the endless cycle of self-condemnation. Man, my self-talk, so critical, so harsh you know, to the point of condemnation. But yet I know that there is now, therefore, no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. So I know that that voice of condemnation is not coming from God. It's coming from the conflict in my own heart. Remember, how we see what we see is so important. So I'm going to tell some stories, all right? I'm going to tell stories. So... If we're going to see the promised land if we're going to see victory we need good eyes i got ahead of myself that's point number 2 so y'all know where i'm going now right it's not a surprise no if we're going to see victory we need good eyes in second kings chapter 6 verse 17 there's a story about elisha and his servant and his servant, he comes out of the. They're staying in a cabin, and he comes out of a cabin, and all of a sudden he's shocked because they're completely surrounded by an enemy army who's there to kill them. Pretty shocking view, right? And he goes back in the cabin and he tells Elisha. he's he tells, tells him all about this. And you know what Elisha does? Elisha prays for him. Here's his prayer: Lord, open his eyes there was another reality that he couldn't see because he was blinded by his own fear and his own human constraints. And all of a sudden his eyes were open, and he begins to see that there's a greater army that's surrounding them that's there to protect them. And if we're going to see the promised land, we have to have... That's right. You all are listening, right? You're all, I'm feeling the love up here right now. You see, we don't ignore the bad things, but God's view in reality is always greater than them. It's always greater than ours. We need good eyes. And if we're going to enter into the promised land, we need good eyes. If we're going to possess the promised land, we have to have good eyes. In Numbers chapter 13 is the story of the 12 spies. They went into the promised land. They were sent out by, by Joshua. Go in there, spy this land out, see what it's like. And that was their commission. In Numbers, Numbers 13 verse 18 it says, see what the land is like. And you know the story. They came back and 10 of them had what the Bible says is an evil report. And only two of them had a good rapport. Ten of them, with their own eyes, they could only, they could not see God in that situation. They came back and said, hey, we, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. It was their eyes that was the issue. They couldn't see the good that God had done and the promises that He had given them about this particular place in their life. And they were overcome by their own limitations and their own fear. Therein there lies the problem. They said, we see ourselves like grasshoppers. It was their own perception of their selves. And that's why the self-image that we have of ourselves is so important. You know, if I just look at my own self-image and the things that I'm able to accomplish, I'm going to be depressed. I'm gonna see all the limitations and all of those things that don't mean anything, right? That I have not been able to accomplish. All of the failures that I've been able to, to muster up in my own choices and in my own life. But if I remember the reality that I am in Christ and God sees me through the, through the veil or through the view of the mercy seat, and He sees me as Colossians 2.10 says, that I'm complete in Him, it, it completely changes the reality of that perception. What promises do you see in your life? What do they look like? Are they, is it full of expectation and fulfilled promises? Is it full of fear? Are you seeing them the way that God sees them? You know, when I read my Bible, I started using my imagination. You ever do that when you read your Bible? If you don't, you should. You know why? Because God created your imagination, and your imagination is super powerful. But what I like to do is I like to imagine myself in the story, especially in the Gospels. You know, that's where I like to live. And there's a story over in John chapter 4 that's an incredible story. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. In fact, this morning when I woke up, uh, I had a memory on Facebook, and it was me standing here sharing part of this story. And I thought, oh, no, I'm going to preach the same sermon twice to these people. And then I remembered I only shared just that one part of this one story. And it probably do us good to hear it again, right? Luke chapter 4, verse 35, Jesus says this, Four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. So Jesus is on this journey with the disciples, and he says something that absolutely infuriates them. Look, Jesus made the disciples mad. (laughs) Pastor Doug knows how to do that too, just so you know, all right? He says this, he says, I've got to go to Samaria. And the disciples were just... They were they were upset by it. They didn't want to go to Samaria because culturally they had been taught that even though the Samaritans were Jews, they didn't call them a nation. They called them a herd. And they had nothing to do with it. In fact, the journey typically didn't go straight through. You know, it was a straight shot to where they were going right down through Samaria. But most Jewish people would go all the way around to avoid having any contact with these people. And Jesus says, look, I'm going to Samaria. And he gets there, and it's noon, and he's hungry. And so he sends the disciples into the city to buy lunch. You know, they went to the Samaritan subway or something, you know. I don't know where they went to get a sandwich. And uh, But this woman comes out, and Jesus is sitting there on the well. And he starts to have this incredible conversation with this woman. And he, he just asked her, he says, please give me a drink. Listen, Jesus had manners, and you need manners too. I hate to have to say that in our culture, but that's the way it is. And Isn't that right, Pastor Doug? Right. And she, they begin to talk, you know, and she says, what are you doing talking to me? You know, you guys don't have anything to do with me, with us Samaritans. And, you know, and, and Jesus says, listen, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you and the gift of God that was presented to you, you would ask me for a drink and I would give you water and you'd never thirst again. And I love her response. She goes, give me this water. You know, I don't want to come out here again. You know, give me this water. And, uh, but they begin to talk and they talk about all kinds of things. And, and Jesus they are talking along and, and he says, well, go get your husband. And it's a very contemporary story, right? And and she goes, "Well, I'm not married." And I can see Jesus just kind of kicking back and getting a big old smile on his face and laughing for a minute and going, "You're right. You don't. You've had five, and the guy you're living with, he's not your husband." And and she goes, she goes running back into town, right? And she has this testimony when she gets to town that terrifies me. I would never want this for, for my life. She goes, come see a man that told me everything that I've ever done. I don't want Jesus doing that for me. You know what I'm saying? Some of you all are the same way. But they talk about worship and they talk about all these things. And then Jesus does something incredible. She says, you know, when Messiah gets here, he's going to straighten all this out and we'll understand it. And Jesus has never done this before and he says to the woman he goes i am messiah and the first woman the first person that he reveals that to out of his own mouth is a woman in a culture that's despised she's just a, her class is just a little bit above a slave and he chooses her and he speaks to her of the value that she has he shows us how to deal with sexism by his behavior he shows us how to deal with racism by his behavior he shows us how to deal with sinners by his behavior he sees value regardless of all of those cultural things that are happening in the world and he speaks to her with dignity and worth it's a, it's an absolutely marvelous picture but so how does that fit into our imagination. Well, if we were to put ourselves in that story, we would be the disciples, right? You know, that's where we'd be. I'd want to be Peter because Peter's a redneck. You know, how do you know Peter's a redneck? Well, he loved to fish and he did it all night in his underwear, you know, so he's a redneck. But we put ourselves we put ourselves in the story and we're one of the disciples. And the disciples, they're angry. They're upset because this flies in the face of their culture and their religion. And they go to town and they probably pass this woman on the way out of town. But they don't see her the way Jesus saw her. They only see what their culture has blinded them to see. They go into town and they see all these people at the subway and They're looking at these people, and these people are just a few moments away from having a face-to-face encounter with the Son of the living God. They're just a few moments away from their eternal life being absolutely transformed and altered. But the disciples, they don't see anything like that. They come back and they see Jesus sitting on the well talking to this woman, and the Bible says they get angry, but none of them dare ask him about it. It was so controversial. Why was it controversial? Well, here's why it was controversial. If you wanted to hook up in that day and age, you didn't, you know, you didn't go online. You went to the well because that's where all the girls were going. And Jesus is talking to this woman and he's completely revealed himself to this woman like he has no one else. But they don't see any of those things. Why? Because they needed good eyes they were blinded by their prejudice they were blinded by their culture they were blinded by their religion and they couldn't see people with the eyes that Jesus saw them that woman the the commentators tell us that she became the first evangelist to the to the gentile nations her testimony was so great she traveled to rome she was she was one of them like I don't know if you. I won't even go there. You all wouldn't even know it, but no, I'm going to do it anyway. Right. Cultural reference: Tony Joe White. Y'all who know Tony Joe White is "Poke Salad Annie." The Gator got your granny song said that she was a she was a straight razor toting woman, <laughs> and this woman was because when she got to Rome, her testimony came to 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 Caesar, and Caesar put out a warrant for her arrest. And rather than wait or hide or wait or do whatever, she just walked right into the palace and said, "Here you're looking for me. Here I am." She was some kind of something. Jesus saw that, the value in that moment. she became the first evangelist to the nation, and eventually she was martyred for testimony. When I was at the Cameron prison the other day. I was taken in by a guy, I mentioned his name, Johnny Allen, and uh, he wasn't able to be there for the first event that we did, but the second one, we had lunch together. And the, the inmate that was organizing the event, his name was Mr. Turner, and Mr. Turner was excited because he hadn't seen Johnny in 25 years. You see, they were first incarcerated, and when they were in a county jail, they they would go up to the roof to smoke cigarettes. And they'd sit on the roof of the county jail. And they hadn't seen each other since they had been incarcerated when they first went to prison. And Mr. Turner, he confessed to me, which never hardly ever happens, that he had killed someone. And uh, he didn't know if he'd ever, ever leave prison. But he had came to faith in Jesus somewhere along his journey. And he was excited because he hadn't seen Johnny in 25 years. And so I asked Johnny when we were at lunch, I said, so what's the deal with you and Mr. Turner? And he said, well, he said, Mr. Turner, when I was first in the county jail, I'd go up on a rooftop and smoke cigarettes and Mr. Turner would sit there with an open Bible and out loud he would read the Bible. He said, I hated it. I hated every minute of it. He didn't add commentary. He didn't preach to me. He just opened up his Bible and opened up his mouth and started reading to it. And he said, somehow, Johnny said, somehow that seed got into my heart. And eight years later, he was released from prison. And during that time in prison, he goes, I can take you back to the spot on the floor. I can take you back to the tile where I knelt down. And I can show you exactly where that seed brought a harvest in my life. And I got to be there and watch these two men unite for the very first time in 25 years and to see the fruit that happened because somebody had eyes that were able to look beyond the person, eyes that were able to see something into their, to their life and into their culture. Now, you and I are going to leave here in a few minutes, and we're going to go out in public, and we're going to carry with us the presence of the resurrected Jesus in our hearts. And we're going to have all kinds of opportunities to be kind to people, and they need our kindness. We're going to have all kinds of opportunities to care for people, to love for people, to show them the rest that's in our heart, the peace, the joy that we experience in being New Covenant believers, kingdom people. We get to go out into the world and do all of those things. And my question for you today, or my commission for you today, is this. How are you going to see them? And even in this room, how are we going to see each other? Because if there was ever a time in our culture that we needed the church, the believers, to demonstrate The reality of who Jesus is by our behavior and by our actions. It's right now. It's every day. And we have that experience. And you know, you might say, well, I'm not qualified to do that. It's like, well, I don't know. You can read, right? You might say, you know, I just don't have that. I don't know all that stuff. It's like, it doesn't matter. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. The power of God resides inside of your life and inside of your heart. But if you don't believe that, and if you don't believe that you have something meaningful to give to people, you know, there are times in people's lives where they don't need you to say anything. They just need you to be there. They just need to experience the aura that comes out of your heart. And we get to do that today. We get to do that every day. It's so incredible. I could, tell, I could just tell story after story of people that their lives were intersected by someone that just simply cared for them. They just simply loved them. And we get to be those people. You might say, you know, we're here in Knoxville, Iowa. I live out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, I don't care. God placed you where you're at. He puts you in that place for that time. I know in life there are times when tragedy strikes and we're devastated by it. And probably the greatest thing that we could do for people is simply just show up and just be there and share with them an experience. We don't have to know what to say, we don't have to say anything. We just have to be there with them. And I won't tell you what will happen. They will remember you and it will have an impact on their lives. And we can do that. So today I want to commission us. Every one of us. And I have a passage of scripture that I want to commission us with, because that's what's going to give us power. It's a promise from Proverbs chapter fifteen, verse thirty. Proverbs fifteen thirty. It says this light in a messenger's eyes. Brings joy to the heart. And good news gives health to the bones. Light in a messenger's eyes. You know, there are times that you can get around people and they can just look at you and say, man, I don't know what that is that you have, but I want that. There's something in your eyes that's coming out. And so today I want to commission us with that verse. The light in your eyes can bring joy to the heart, and good news can give health to the bones. So would you stand with me? The only hope that our world has is for us to preach the gospel and make disciples. That's it. No government's going to rescue us. It's going to come because the heart of men are transformed by the power of the gospel and they're made disciples by us walking with them on a journey, the journey of life. And we are those people. We're qualified for that. You know, Jesus sent his disciples out two by two, and he said, don't take any money, don't take a, any, you know, don't do anything, don't take anything, don't take a change of clothes, don't take anything, just a stick. That's all they were able to say. I don't know, something about God and sticks. He likes those sticks. I don't know what to deal with. Moses, what do you got in your hand? I got a stick. The disciples, what do you got in your hand? I got this stick. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with it, but something's going to happen with it because God said, take it. So don't disqualify yourself with people. We want to see results. A lot of times we don't get to see results. Hebrews chapter 11 is full of a whole bunch of people that says they they saw the promise far off, never got to touch it, never got to inherit it, never got to walk in it, but they saw it. And so when we, when we go out of here today, the greatest thing that you can give to someone right off the bat is the, the spirit that lives within you